Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Thank you, Gil, for leading us and our choir for singing so well. What a great time of worship we've had this morning. Uh, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's that's one of my favorites. It was one of my daddy's favorites. Uh, So uh, that's that's special. Thank you so much. Um, You know, before I get into the sermon today, uh, I think it would be appropriate, not just appropriate, but I think that it's uh, absolutely necessary that the church, since we've been talking about the church a lot and will again today, that the church around the world uh, stop today and pray. Uh, Today has been declared a day of prayer for uh, the situation in Ukraine and uh, so uh, we're going to stop right now and pray for Ukraine. Um, uh, I mentioned on Facebook this past week and I I couldn't believe how how people responded to it just doing a little research and found out that that the church, capital C, the church, the body of Christ in Ukraine may be the strongest anywhere in Europe and uh, that, the, that Ukraine sends out more missionaries. You know, we think about sending missionaries to Ukraine. I know of a lot of people that have been to Ukraine. I know a pastor friend of mine that takes a group nearly every year to Ukraine. And so we think about a lot of people going over there, but uh, Ukraine sends a lot of missionaries uh, into uh, Eastern Europe into Central Asia, which is where the Chechen people are, who are our adopted people group. And so they send a lot of missionaries out. And so I think that, I, I don't think, I know that a big part of the reason why things are developing in Ukraine right now is because the enemy, our enemy, not the flesh and blood enemy, not the armies that are rolling across Ukraine right now, but our enemy, Satan, uh, wants to stop we know he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter chapter 1 tells us that we have an enemy. Our, our enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so he's doing everything that he can to devour and to stop and destroy and to kill and uh, to keep God's work from moving forward. And that, that's, why, that's why Russia attacked this week is because Satan is hard at work. And the Word of God tells us in the book of Revelation that as Satan, as we get closer to the end of time, and I do believe that what's happening in Ukraine right now has uh, prophetic implications. Uh, I think it's more and more evidence that we're getting closer to the end of time. So I hope you know Jesus. If you don't, today would be the day that you need to give your life to Christ because we're getting close to the time where he's going to snatch us out of here. And I'm ready for that. Uh, But until then, we got work to do. Uh, but Ukraine is in desperate need right now. The Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary is there as a strong seminary. Uh, the president of that seminary is a graduate of Southwestern Theological uh, Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, uh, he's asking for prayer. He's asking for funds. There are ways that you can give directly to the seminary. The seminary is not in Kiev, and so it's not in, at this point, is not in direct harm's way. Uh, very well soon could be, uh, but it's not right now. It's uh, uh, maybe, a, uh, cor- uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it may be a couple of hundred miles from Kiev. So it's not directly where all the fighting is happening. 
But there's a lot of people coming that direction that are refugees and they're running from the fighting. And uh, the uh, president was sharing that uh, they have set the seminary up to receive those refugees. And so that's what they're doing. And they're, they've turned classrooms into dorm rooms and put mattresses everywhere and providing food and shelter and a database in case people need to find out where their loved ones went. If they come through the, if they come through the seminary, they, they will at least know that well, they were here for a while. You and I can't imagine that yet. We can't imagine what it's like to have to run like that. Um. But that's what's going on. And so I want us to pray. I know that you have been praying, and I want us as a church to pray today for Ukraine and for that situation. But I really do. I feel very uh, uh, strongly that we need to be praying for the seminary there. Good chance that the church, if things continue to progress, who knows what's going to happen. There's all kinds of things that are developing just moment by moment. I read things even this morning, got a text from one of my brothers this morning that told me of some developments uh, with uh, Putin that have, that have real uh, dangerous implications for the entire world even today. Um, but I really feel like the, 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 if things continue, the church is going to be driven underground. Right now the church in Ukraine is very public very strong, but there's a good chance that they're going to be driven underground. And if, if Russia is able to take over and all those types of things, uh, it's going to change a whole lot of things. Already has changed. It will never be the same. And uh, probably one of, the, one of the most dangerous geopolitical situations uh, that we've seen in a long, long, long time. So I know that you know that, and we need to pray. So would you join me as we pray? <clears throat> Father, we confess that we are needy and we are broken. We confess, Lord, that we don't understand uh, all that's going on. We know that there are people who are under the control of the evil one right now that are doing some horrible things everywhere, literally around the world. There's people even on my Facebook post this past week made sure to point out to me that the United States is a terrible place too. And God, there's sinners everywhere. The enemy's hard at work everywhere. We just see it a whole lot right now in Ukraine. And they need help. And God, there needs to be peace. And we all have opinions about how things ought to go and whether or not we like what our government is doing or whether we agree with that or not or whether we agree with what NATO's doing and all we can talk about all those kinds of things, God, and have opinions and discussions and arguments and all that kind of stuff, God. But the truth of the matter is the world needs Jesus. And God, you're the only one who can bring peace. The president of the seminary said it'll only take a, it's a miracle of God. That's the only thing that's going to change things. But God, you're still in the miracle business. And so we're asking, Father, for a miracle. 
uh, that the fighting will cease, that the, the killing will stop, that the refugees won't have to keep running, uh, that people won't have to leave their homes as thousands have already done, uh, that families will not be disrupted and destroyed because people get killed and Father, I even think, I, I know a lot of our, 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 our feelings are against Russia right now, Lord. But, God, if there's any place that needs Jesus, it's Russia. And Father, there are families in Russia. There are mom, mamas in Russia whose sons are fighting and are going to lose their lives. So there's mamas in Russia that are, gonna, that are grieving right now over the loss of a son or a husband our kids grieving the loss of a daddy. And we can say all day, well, they deserve, that's what they, they got what they deserve. We can think all that kind of stuff, Lord, if we want to. But God, the truth of the matter is that you care about suffering people. Your, your heart is moved by those whose hearts are broken. And so, Father, we pray for Ukraine. We pray for Russia. God, I pray for Putin. I pray for his salvation, Lord. God, I pray for the president of Ukraine. God, I pray for Ramzan Kadyrov, the president of the, the leader of Chechnya, who has mobilized his troops now to go into Ukraine and fight against the Ukrainian people. I pray for his salvation. God, I pray that you will move and work. I pray for those that are scared and hurting and those that have been injured and those that have lost loved ones. God, I pray, Lord, you are Lord of all. And so we ask you, God, to move and to work and to help those who are in need today. And, Father, I pray for the seminary there. I pray for the president and those that are there that are trying their best to minister to the needs of people and to show the love of Christ, God, to people that are in desperate need right now. And I pray for them. I pray for the resources to be there. I pray for the church, those of us that are sitting here really safe and really comfortable with bank accounts that are full and things, every, everything is seeming to go pretty well for us, God, that we would send some money so that they can help uh, people because we can't go. We literally cannot go. Most of us would not go, but we can't go now, Lord. But they're there, and they need our help. So, God, I pray that. Folks will be stirred and led by your spirit to give so that they will have the resources they need to be able to help people and to show the love of Christ. And that people will come to know Jesus as a result of this, Lord. So God, help. Help them today. And help us today to know what we can do and what we should do as the body of Christ who is uh, deeply affected by what's going on on the other side of the world, thousands of miles away from us. So help us today, Lord, help them today, God. Uh, do the miracle that only you can do. We trust you. Our hope is in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, I want you to know that Vicki and I missed y'all last Sunday. We really did. We, uh, uh, we missed... Uh, we miss being with y'all. We were, we were. I know we had baby dedication here, parent-child dedication here last Sunday. I hate not being here for that, but we's dedicating a baby at First Baptist Ridgeland yesterday, uh, last Sunday. My, uh, our youngest grandson was dedicated over there, so we were over there. But I just want to tell y'all something. We missed y'all. We really did. I'm not. I ain't just saying that. We missed y'all. We missed. We we didn't necessarily. We didn't necessarily miss this building, though we love being with y'all in this building on Sundays and Wednesdays. 
But we missed y'all. We missed being with y'all because you are the church and you, the church is made up of people and you are our people. And we missed being with y'all last Sunday. I want you to know that. That's from the bottom of my heart. We missed being with y'all last Sunday. I mean, we were only a few miles away, but still, we just, we missed being with y'all last Sunday because the church is people and we missed being with our people last week. I read something on Facebook this week that I thought was a perfect introduction to this message. So if you'll let me, I want to read this to you. It says this, I know there are some who can't, but if you can, Christian, go to church. You need the church. The church needs you, and it's a biblical command. Go to church. Now, you're like, well, John, we're here. I mean, we're here. Well, let me, let me keep on going then, but... It says this, the internet is not church, it doesn't count. You don't need an influencer, you need a pastor. You don't need TikTok clips, you need to be physically present. You don't need to follow a page, you need to join a family. You don't need inspirational quotes, you need scriptural truth. You don't need a verse of the day, you need a steady diet of biblical teaching. And you do need accountability and correction as much as you need affirmation. Plus, we need one another. Romans 12, honor one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. Colossians 3, forgive one another. 1 Peter 5, submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another. Hebrews 10, encourage one another. James 5, confess sin to one another. And there are about 50 more. And go to the same church a lot. Join it officially if that's an option, and it is, by the way, here at First Baptist Flora, for you to join officially if that's an option. Go enough that you learn people's names, and they notice when you're not there. Sit next to older people, ask questions, and listen closely to their answers. Sit next to younger people and encourage them. Listen to the announcements, and when there's a chance to serve, do it. When there's a chance to give, do it. When there's a special event, attend it. Jesus died for us, plural. So let's walk through life together, period. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts where we've been for the last few weeks. Acts chapter 4, page 912 in your pew Bible if you need to use a copy of God's Word. I hope you have your own, but if not, grab a pew Bible and turn to page 912. And we're going to look at about four or five different little snippets of Verses, a verse here, a couple of verses here, a couple of verses here, just to kind of get an overview of the picture of what we're looking at today. Acts chapter 4, verse 4 is the first one we're going to look at. So if you'll stand, please, and we'll read this, and then we've got a few others that we're going to read as well. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, and it says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now jump over to verses 19 and 20. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Jump down to verse 31. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
Now keep going to verse 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to, distributed to each as any had need. Now jump over to chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verse, boy, I love that sound. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set, they set before th these, they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless the reading of all of these verses of Scripture, His Word. Let's pray together. Father, help us today to hear from you. Holy Spirit, you move, you teach, you work, you help us to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So Ukraine, again, is in the news a lot right now. I want to tell you some, uh, a little bit about uh, Ukraine and why I believe that the church is so strong there and that the gospel is so strong there and that, it, that, that the church, the body of Christ, sends out missionaries from there. According to church tradition and history, Andrew, one of Jesus' first disciples, brought the gospel to Ukraine. You hear that? Andrew brought the gospel to Ukraine. He traveled across the Black Sea. If you go look at a map, you'll see, traveled across the Black Sea to a Greek colony in Crimea. Have you heard of Crimea? Russia annexed that, took that last year or a couple of years ago. Andrew traveled across the Black Sea to a Greek colony in Crimea where he shared the gospel. And when he did, several thousand men got saved that led to Ukraine becoming one of the strongest Christian nations in Europe over the years of the ongoing mission work that start, was started there by Andrew. Andrew. So this spread of the gospel through the work of the apostles and the brand new believers who became the first missionaries started in the book of Acts. We see all of this in the book of Acts. These people getting saved and the, the Holy Spirit coming, people getting saved and the gospel being preached and the persecution starting and people leaving and going other places to go share the gospel. If there's any good that could come out of the refugees leaving Ukraine and going other places, they're going to take the gospel with them when they go. They're going to take Jesus with them when they go. Jesus isn't going to stop at the, at the border of Ukraine before they cross over into Poland or Belarus or wherever they're headed. He's going to go with them. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, that the gospel took off and went everywhere, and it went to Ukraine. 
through Andrew. The book of Acts, man, this incredible book that we've been studying, it's an indispensable bridge between the the accounts of Jesus' life and the ministry in the four Gospels, his ministry in the four Gospels. The book of Acts is a bridge between that and between the apostles' letters in the New Testament that explain and interpret and help us to apply what Jesus taught. And so this book is so important. It's such an important book in the New Testament. That's why we're spending this time thinking about it. And it's really such an important book for us, for the church. So important. J. Vernon McGee said that the New Testament without Acts leaves a great yawning gap. If we didn't have the book of Acts, we'd have this huge gap between Jesus' life and ministry and teachings and the New Testament letters of Paul and the other apostles. That's why this book is so important, because it documents the rapid growth of the church from a small group of Jewish believers to a worldwide ministry of a multitude of different people, groups, and nationalities everywhere. That's why this book is so important. The church went from a locked upper room in Jerusalem to the palace of Caesar. The book of Acts. You look at the book of Acts, you see in the book of Acts, in the chapters in the book of Acts, you see 34 countries, 54 cities, and nine Mediterranean islands are mentioned. They went from Jerusalem to 34 countries, 54 cities, and nine Mediterranean islands. Some commentators that I read, one writer said that there are 95 different, 95 different people who are mentioned in the book of Acts. J. Vernon McGee says it's 110 different people. Well, it's between those two, over 100 people. 100 people are mentioned in the book of Acts. So that's, today we're going to talk about the people of the church not just the hundred or so people that are mentioned in the book of Acts, but we're going to talk about the people that make up the church now. That's why we're praying for the church in Ukraine because we have a direct connection to them because of our relationship with Christ. So we're going to talk about the church, the people who make up the church, specifically the people in this church that we love and care about so much, specifically the people that are in this room today that are part of this church. The application of this message is that the church is made up of the people of God and God has placed each believer into his body, the church. The church is made up of the people of God and God has placed each believer into his body, the church. So who are the people? Who are the people who are in the church? First of all, They're sinners who are saved by the grace of God. Amen? Sinners who are saved by the grace of God. The people that make up the church are sinners who are saved by the grace of God. You go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. The first verse that I read goes with this point, where it says there that many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Let's get a little running start into that verse. That's kind of a kind of a random verse just to pull out, but let's get the context of that verse. A couple of Sundays ago, as we began and started thinking about this this series, the book of Acts, the church, that you are the church, that we are the church, I, we looked at the sermon that that Peter preached right after the day of that the Holy Spirit came 
at the day of Pentecost. The name of the sermon was the, the sermon was the proclamation that I preached a couple of weeks ago. We looked at that sermon that, pre, that Peter preached. Remember the Holy Spirit came a day. They were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came. They heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The tongues of fire appeared, landed on each one of them. They began to speak in other languages. And then all the people came running. Remember they said, these guys must be drunk. And they said, no, it's too early for them to be drunk. I mean, that, this is something serious going on. That's what Peter said. No, this is, this is God. This is the Holy Spirit. And so Peter took advantage, at that point he took advantage of all these people who came running because they were hearing the, the mighty works of God being proclaimed in their own language. And so they all came and Peter took advantage of it and said, all right, hey, i got a big group in front of me, I'm going to preach the gospel. You remember he preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved and the church was born. And so we see this incredible moment, and he preached the truth of the gospel and that, that, that God will save anybody, anywhere, at any time if, they will, if you will trust Jesus. To, that's what Peter preached. So that's what we did a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, uh, Michael and, and Mark both preached incredible sermons out of uh, Acts chapter 3 that talked about uh, Peter and John going up to the temple. I hope you got to hear those messages. Peter and John going up to the temple, the lame man that had been... Uh, carried there for 40 years and how he asked for money he wanted alms he was begging for money as he did every day for 40 years and Peter and John said silver and gold have I none but such that I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and grabbed him by the hand stood him up and the dude started walking and leaping and praising God unbelievable well guess what happened after that <laughs> just like after the day of Pentecost when all that crazy stuff was going, they were, people were hearing the gospel and the mighty works of God. All of a sudden, now this guy, this guy who hadn't walked in 40 years is up jumping around praising God. So guess what happened? People started running again to find out what's going on. So guess what Peter did again? Hey, a whole bunch of people have gathered up. I'm going to preach the gospel again. Boy, there's a whole sermon right there. How many times do we miss opportunities to preach the gospel all around us. Peter wouldn't miss it. I mean, so he preached the gospel again. He preached the word of God again. And people, when Peter saw that all the people were utterly astonished, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, and ran together to, to them, he preached the gospel again. And guess what it got him? It got him arrested. Chapter 4, first part of chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Take a look at that. As they were speaking to the people, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. People get greatly annoyed when you preach the gospel. That's why most of us keep our mouths shut because we're afraid of those people that get annoyed. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That, that's a good thing to proclaim. Because that's the truth of the gospel. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. So Peter preached the gospel, got him arrested. But guess what else happened? Another 2,000 men got saved. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love how God works. 2,000 men gave their lives to Christ. It says there, verse 4, many who had already heard, who heard the word, Believe, that Greek word for believed means they entrusted their lives to Jesus. 
They didn't just believe with their head. They didn't just believe intellectual facts about this Jesus of Nazareth. They entrusted their lives to him. It means they had a heart belief, not just a mind belief, but a heart belief. It means that that word believe means to stake your life on the claims of God that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that he is the only way to be saved, and that is by trusting in him alone for your salvation. That's what it means to believe, and that's what these 2,000 men believed that day. These 2,000 men who got saved that day were sinners who were lost and dying and on their way to hell just like you and me. These 2,000 men were undeserving and unworthy men just like you and me. These 2,000 men, by grace alone, God saved them that day and placed them in his body, the church, just like he does when you come to know Jesus. He places you into his body, the church. When you give your life to Christ, you are saved immediately, eternally, and immediately and eternally, you become a member of his body, the church. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Our bodies have many parts, but the many parts make up only one body when they are all put together. So it is with the body of Christ. And he said in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So these 2,000 men got saved that day, but not only did they get saved that day, but they were immediately, eternally placed into the body of Christ. They became our brothers in Christ. So here's the cool thing. Those of us who have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, one day we're going to see those guys. We're going to meet those guys. I'm going to meet those guys. I'm, one day I'm going to meet them. I'm going to get to talk to those 2,000 guys and ask them what it was like when Peter was preaching that day. What did, what was, what did he say? What was it like? What was it like to be a part of that early uh, time in the life of the church? Those of us that know Christ are going to get to see these guys. So my question for you is what about you? Are you going to get to meet these guys? Are you going to get, the, get to meet these sinners who were saved by the grace of God? The only way that you will meet them is if you are a sinner who has been saved by the grace of God. So my question for you is, have you been saved by the grace of God? The church is made up of sinners who are saved by the grace of God. Second thing is that the church is made up of people who share the word of God. Made up of sinners who are saved by the grace of God, and then it's made up of people who share the word of God. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, verse 31, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel. And when they were questioned about the power with which the lame man was healed, the leaders brought him in and said, how'd this guy get healed what's the power by what name did you preach and Peter again stepped up with the gospel again he preached the gospel again he told him that it was the filling of the indwelling Holy Spirit it was the truth of the gospel message it was the reality of their relationship with Jesus it was the boldness of their obedience to God the power of the church we see all of these things 
The church is made up of people who share the word of God. That's what we see Peter and John doing. And apparently that's what a whole lot of other people started doing too. And you and I have access to all of those things as well. You and I have access to the filling of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That didn't just happen in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It never happens again. It happens in your mine and your life all the time. The indwelling power of the filling of the Holy Spirit is available to you and me right now. Right now. Right now. You and I. The way that the church, the way that this church specifically will impact our community and the world is when the people of the church share the word of God with boldness. When we share the gospel with boldness, like Peter did. Peter set the example for us. And remember, you can say, well, yeah, but wait a minute, John, that's Peter. That's the apostle. Let's go back. We did it a couple of weeks ago. Let's remember who Peter was and how he had utterly, completely failed Jesus. And yet God used him in great ways. Every one of us have that same testimony. We need to preach the word of God with boldness because we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. We know the truth of the gospel message. We have experienced, I hope you have, experienced the reality of our own relationship with Jesus. We can have the same boldness that Peter had when we obey God like he obeyed God. And we can and we should pray as a church for the power that for each other to share the gospel. It, the church is made up of people who share the word of God. It takes preachers in the pulpit preaching the gospel. I know that that's my place and that's what I will do. It takes preachers in the pulpit preaching the gospel. It takes musicians singing the gospel. It takes life group leaders teaching the gospel and striving to reach lost people in your life group. I want to ask you something if you're a life group leader. Do you, have, do you know for sure that you have lost people in your life group? On your life group roll sheet, are there lost people? If not, we're not doing the job we're supposed to be doing. If you don't have lost people come into your life group, we need to be teaching and preaching the gospel. Life group leaders need to do that. It takes life. It takes all of us who are Christ followers sharing the gospel with those all around us who are lost. Man, last week Mark preached 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. He preached a, a message entitled, Who's at Your Gate? out of Acts chapter 3. And it was interesting right after he preached that, guess what? What happens to us preachers most of the time? We preach something and God gives us an opportunity to see if we're going to obey what we preached. It happens a lot to us. And after Mark preached that last week, a guy named James showed up at the gate this past week and showed up on Monday after Mark preached on Sunday. And James showed up needing some food and needing some help. So Mark put him in his truck and took him and got him some food and got him the help that he needed. And as he was taking him to his home, on the way going down the road, he started sharing the gospel with him. And James gave his life to Christ in Mark's pickup truck this past week. Amen? It takes people. The church is made up of people who share the word of God. Are you one of those people? Am I one of those people? Not just in this pulpit. 
So the church is made up of sinners who are saved by the grace of God, people who share the word of God. Thirdly, the church is made up of brothers and sisters who show the love of God. Brothers and sisters who show the love of God. That was that passage in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Take a look at that again. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they all had everything in common. The great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands and houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So you see, we look at these passages of Scripture, and we see evidence of God's work outside the church. We see, we see Peter out there preaching the gospel. We see 3,000 getting saved over here. We see 2,000 getting saved over here. We see Peter preaching, to the, even, preaching the gospel even to the religious leaders and people that arrested him. So we see all kinds of stuff happening outside the church. But what we also see here as we continue to look is we see the evidence of God inside the church. We see God working outside the church as he, uh, people getting saved and people getting healed. And, but we also see inside the church, we see unity. You see what it said there, verse 32, they were of one heart and soul. We see the unity of the church. Boy, if there is any way, I've said this, I've said this as long as I've been a senior pastor especially, but even when I was in student ministry, if there is any way, any place that Satan loves attacking a church family is through the unity of the church. Do you believe that? Boy, if he can get you and I sideways with each other and get us talking about each other over here and over there and murmuring and grumbling and complaining and doing stuff like that and just planting those little seeds of dissent, he's so cunning to be able to do that. I don't really like the way we did that. I don't, I'm not, I don't think I agree with that. And It's okay not to like and not to agree, but it's not okay when you start saying, now I want you to join my team of people that don't like that. I want you to join my team of people who don't agree with that. Let's get us a little team. And, ooh, man, Satan loves that. The church is made up of brothers and sisters who show the love of God, and it takes unity to do that. The, that you see there in verse 32, they were of one heart and soul. It was unity in the church. We see, the un- we see unity. We see grace. I love that verse 33 that says, and great grace was upon them. You know why? The grace of the community was upon them because they were doing such good things for the Lord. But the grace of God was being poured out upon them because they were being obedient to the Lord. It's just you see the grace of God everywhere on these people. We see grace. We see them sharing with others who were in need and taking care of each other. They were selling their possessions and giving the money to people who were in need. They were taking care of each other. We see them showing the love of God to each other, not just talking about it, not just singing about it, not just teaching on it, not just preaching on it. They were showing it by their actions. And we ought to sing about it. We ought to teach on it. We ought to preach on it. But that's all empty if it doesn't translate into us showing it to one another in the church. John, I love what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. I love this little verse. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The Living Bible puts it a little clearer. It says, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. There's an old 
chorus we used to sing years ago, the last line of the chorus said, they will know we are Christians by our love. Man, that, that, that's a huge part of the people of God. That's a huge part of the church showing the love of God in real and tangible ways. Man, what if, what if a couple of weeks ago we had just turned our back on our brothers and sisters in the other church when their food pantry got closed? What if, what if when Mississippi Food Network called Mark Sandifer, he just said, nah, well, you know what, we, we're, we're just too busy. We ain't got time for that. I don't, know, I don't know if I can get enough people to come out and do that kind of stuff. I, you know, we don't really have time for that. What if we had just done that? What would that have said to the community? What would that have said about our church? What would that have said about the church? But we didn't. And praise God, the Lord just continues opening doors for us now. Man, just this past week, I know of brothers and sisters in Christ all across this church family. Some of you sitting in this room today who have tangibly showed the love, shown the love of God to those in our church family. You have reached out, and there's a lot of times I know you reach out, and I don't know about it, which is fine. I love that. I don't have to know about it all because I know you're doing it, but I love it when I do find out. And I know that this past week there are people all across this church family who were reaching out to each other, praying with people who were sick, praying and comforting those who lost loved ones, helping people move, encouraging others through fellowship and prayer, giving money to those who need it, checking on those who are struggling physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. I know it happened this week. I saw it happen over and over and over across our church family. You know what? It's inconvenient sometimes. <laughs> Usually is. To drop what you're doing and go tangibly show the love of Christ to somebody. It's inconvenient sometimes. It's costly sometimes. It's messy sometimes. It's painful sometimes. And sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we miss. It may be there's somebody sitting here today, well, they didn't come see me. <laughs> That's going to happen, y'all. It's happened to me. It's going to happen to y'all. It happens. You know what else? Sometimes that love is not reciprocated. In fact, sometimes our love is taken advantage of. People take advantage of it. Or it's taken for granted. Or people take advantage of our love. So what do we do when that happens? Guess what? We keep on showing the love of God to them. Amen? We just keep on. It ain't easy. Something inside of us says, I don't really want to do this, and yet we know it's the right thing because it's what the Word of God tells us to do. The people of the church are brothers and sisters who show the love of God to one another. And finally, the people that are in the church are servants who serve the people of God. Go to Acts chapter 6, those, those passages, those verses we read there. One of the ways, one of the specific ways that God has provided the means for the church to show the love of God in tangible ways is by creating and ordaining the office of deacon in the church like he did in Acts chapter 6. You see what happened? A ministry need came up in the church. They were distributing food to people like we do and but they were taking food to people and stuff like that, and all of a sudden they come to find out that there's a group of people who are being neglected. 
They missed them. They, they slipped through the cracks. That happens sometimes. Boy, it breaks my heart when we find out that somebody has slipped through the cracks and somebody needed ministry and we weren't there. Man, it breaks my heart when that happens. But it happens, and this is what happened in Acts chapter 6. Their minute, this ministry need came up. There were some widows who needed some food. And so the apostles who were preaching and teaching and the church was growing, I mean, they went from a few people in an upper room to over 5,000 men. It could have been 10,000 people that were in the church now. Maybe more. So the apostles had their hands full praying for all these people and preaching the word of God as much as they possibly could. And so led by the Holy Spirit who was in them and who was leading them, led by the Holy Spirit, they called these men out and they set them aside to take care of the physical ministry needs in the church. And so deacons were born. That Greek word, diakonia, it means practical, humble service or ministry. Alistair Begg said that verse 2 is not teaching that waiting on tables is bad, for it is absolutely essential, but that waiting on tables cannot take the place of the ministry of the Word. If you're an ordained deacon in our church, would you stand up right now, please? Whether you're serving right now or not, I mean, whether you're an active or can't remember what we call them, active or serving deacon right now. All right, y'all look around. You see these men? These men who are standing right now. These men, thanks guys, you can be seated. These are the men, these are the men who have been called by God. Your pastor has been called. There are two New Testament offices, the office of pastor, elder, and the office of deacon. I have been called by God to be the pastor of these church. These men that stood have been called by the same God to that other office in the church, the office of deacon. They've been called by God. They have committed their lives to serving the members of this church. They're not a board of directors. And they're not the ruling council of the church. They are the chief servants of the church who have the joy and privilege of leading our church to show the love of God better and better as we grow. The church was growing here in Acts chapter 6. I wish we had, I wish we had to be concerned about 10,000 people, don't you? Our church is, we got enough to deal with right here. But as the church grew, they knew they needed some men who would set the example, which is what our deacons do, they're called to set the example for the rest of the church on how to show the love of God. They are my go-to guys for ministry. Those guys who are serving deacons right now, almost every, well not almost, every week, they get multiple texts from me. Minister, when I find out that you're sick, when I find out that you're struggling, when I find out you've lost a loved one, I do my best to try to let our servant leaders, our ministers in the church, our servant ministers, the deacons, know about your need so that they can respond to you and minister to you. They're my go-to guys. They get these ministry texts all the time, and they know that there is the expectation from the pastor that they will immediately respond to that ministry text and reach out to you through a phone call or a text or a visit and pray for you. They're my go-to guys for ministry in the life of this church. 
This next Sunday night, we're going to ordain Harvey and Andy, Harvey Bozeman, Andy Creel. Next Sunday night, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for all of our deacons, whether they're serving deacons right now or not. We need to pray for all of them because you never, you never are unordained after you're ordained. You're always a deacon, so you're always to be serving. And there's some men in this room right now that need to pray about becoming a deacon in the life of this church. Becoming a deacon. Your name gets nominated year after year, and year after year you turn it down. This is what I hear most of the time from God. I'm not worthy. Look, dude, the, the guy behind the pulpit is not worthy to be standing here right now. If you're waiting on your worthiness, you're never going to serve. It's only by the grace of God that I stand here. It's only by the grace of God that you get to be a deacon. It's only by the grace of God that you're sitting in this room today worshiping the Lord. None of us are worthy. We're only made worthy through Christ. Amen. So that excuse is gone. To any of the men that says, that, well, well doggone it, that was my excuse. That, that one's gone now. But I'll also tell you this. We need to increase the number of deacons in our church. Nine deacons is not enough to do the ministry of this church. Nine deacons is not enough to do the ministry that needs to be done in this church. We need to increase the group of men that serve as deacons on a regular basis. We'll be talking about that later, but I'm just going to go ahead and give you a heads up about that. Nine is not enough. Because we need servants who will serve the people of God in this church. And that's what these guys that just stood up have committed their lives to. So the people of the church, the people of the church... You see it. They're sinners who saved by the grace of God. Is that you? Have you been saved by the grace of God? If not, give your life to Jesus today. They are people who share the word of God. Are you sharing the word of God? Are you witnessing to people? Are you sharing Christ with people? Brothers and sisters who show the love of God, are you doing that? Are you looking for those ways? Are you responding to those ways that you can show the love of God to folks in the church? And servants who serve the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us today? Lord, to respond to your leadership today as the people of God in this place, Lord, to do what you have called us to do, Lord, to commit to this church to be the people of God you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.